Welcome to the Ladies Who Launch. Join Alyssa and Dakota every other Wednesday as we launch conversations about the chaos that is life. Tune in every other Wednesday and don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Welcome to Ladies Who Launch. It's a new day. It's finally getting sunny in Calgary. We're all in quarantine, um, so that's making things slightly better. Um, Alyssa and I have a very exciting guest on our show today, but before we introduce her, I just want to quickly have a lady rant. Lady rant. Lady rant of the day. What's the rant, Dakota? So my biggest rant lately has been just with the negativity, like I've seen so much more negativity out there than I have positivity. And one thing that really um, got me boiling was this whole Takeout Tuesday campaign that was happening. Um, A bunch of restaurants here and actually across Canada tried to band together to start this Takeout Tuesday campaign where they've asked the public to commit to takeout every Tuesday once a week. Um, And this was a restaurant-backed an industry-backed initiative. And instead of supporting it, a number of reporters came out from the Globe and Mail, National Post, and they freaking attacked it. And they were like, this isn't healthy. It's promoting the spread of the virus. Um, just And they, they wrote like op-eds to like shut it down. And it really bugged me because for a lot of restaurants, this is how they're surviving. And it was just a community thing that they were going to do. Obviously, everybody has their own protocols in place for staying safe. A lot of it involves curbside pickup or like dropping the items off kind of at the foot of your driveway or outside your apartment door. So I just really wasn't entirely sure why people were attacking it. And then the other argument that I saw that just was completely unfounded in my opinion was this opinion that the restaurants wouldn't be able to handle the amount of orders and therefore they'd have to bring in more staff and therefore their staff would be endangered, which I kind of understand, but I feel like it's up to the restaurants to kind of man that. And these media outlets just had no right to attack this issue. So that brings me to my late, my larger lady rant piece. I've been noticing a lot of media have reached out to me, even though I do, I only really do social media and digital marketing to say, Hey, Dakota, do you have a story on your client for this? But can we get like a negative angle? Like nobody wants a positive angle. And to that end, my media relations friends have been experiencing this issue where they've been pitching their little hearts out to try and keep their clients afloat. And the media will not take their pitches. And then they go looking for negative stories and publish them. So all that to say that I think we really need to check ourselves. And yeah, I'm calling people out. I'm not going to name any names, but I'm going to call, call some media out here. And we need to start promoting uh, positive, uplifting stuff and not negative stuff. There's already too much negative stuff out there right now. So that's my rant. Let's quit the rant. It was a good rant. <laughs> rant. Have you, have you um, seen this? I will say uh, yes on two levels. One, I mean, I could... I could talk about the media coverage of COVID ad nauseum and the ridiculous questions that the prime minister has to take every day at his briefings are ridiculous, but that's a whole other story. I will say um, uh, the negative, uh, the negative sentiment online is very apparent. And I think 
what's, what's become obvious is that people who had agendas before this all happened, the agendas still are the same. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not quite sure where the vitriol against supporting local businesses come from. I mean, I can't speak for any of those people writing op-eds, but I think there's, um, there's a tendency to, in times of panic or crisis, to always sort of look for the underlying I guess story, but somehow that the the whether it's media or or conspiracy theorists or other people are always sort of thinking that there's something that somebody's not saying, mm-hmm. and there's some sort of underlying um, right. concerns that aren't being addressed. And um, I think, from my perspective, I haven't witnessed anything um, untoward like that with with media people contacting um, and specifically asking for. A negative angle that's weird mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but uh it wouldn't surprise i mean it kind of would surprise me i suppose but yeah. what i've just noticed is that it hasn't been a lot but it's been a few and i've been pretty shocked yeah i've what i've noticed is just more um general sort of weird um conspiracy sort of nutty sort of context and comments and things on, on social media as though everyone thinks that this is some sort of created um, gov- in a lab, created in a lab, some sort of government, <laughs> yes. government um, initiative. Like, yeah. and I said to somebody the other day, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure the government really wanted to be issuing like billions and trillions of dollars in emergency aid to everyone on a project that they created. Like, yeah. I mean, let's all just use our heads, shall we? But, um, I think there's a bigger discussion and I think uh, that's maybe some topics we'll talk about uh, coming up in terms of changing the narrative to positivity and um, how we come out of this. And um, our guest today probably will have some insight on some, some ways we can sort of start changing that narrative and how we can start to transition out of this immediate crisis mode into sort of the new reality that we're all going to be facing in the next few months. All I'm saying people is community over COVID. Oh, and just community over just being stupid. I mean, this is a time that everybody just needs to come together right. and um, and start rallying around supporting people and supporting initiatives and things that people are doing. It isn't the time to to start your own um, agenda ranting about things that aren't relevant. And um, yeah, I could I could go off about um, the media behavior through this, but. Um, that's neither here nor there at this point, but anyway, okay, good rant, but leading into into that, um, our guest today is uh, Melanie Nicholson, who is a long-term friend of mine. I think Melanie and I've known each other for probably, I don't know, seven years or so. Um, Melanie and I met when she worked at a post-secondary, um, she worked at state here in Calgary and I was at tourism Calgary. And since that time, we've both gone out on our own. Melanie's also an entrepreneur who runs her own um, communications company called Melanie Lynn Communications. And um, she's also a mom entrepreneur. She's become a mom since going out on her own, which is a whole other kettle of fish that we'll talk to her about today. But uh, anyway, I wanted to welcome Mel. We'll call, well, we call her Mel. So yeah, just fine. Thank you. You're welcome, Mel. How's it going today? You know what? It's Friday. It's not snowing. So I'm going to call it a win. Yes. And the wiggles are on. So bonus. And the wiggles are on. Welcome to my daily life. So how are you doing through uh, COVID, both personally and professionally? You know, it's been quite an interesting exercise. I would say we have, uh, my husband and I are both working from home. 
Uh, and we have an almost two-year-old at home who doesn't understand what's going on, which is, there's a pro to that and a con to that. Uh, so we've been navigating that time-space continuum of life within the house and trying to get everyone the time they need to get the work done, but also make sure that our son's getting some time because he's confused when we're both here and not paying attention to him. Um, and, and just trying to stay positive through this whole thing. So it's been quite an exercise in, in that time management piece and an exercise in crisis communication because it's communications consultancy, obviously crisis communications has been quite a big part of what I'm doing right now. And it's not project-based communications where, oh, I know I have three weeks to execute this. It's, I have to execute this today. So how do we make that happen within our little hemisphere that we're operating in? So it's been, it's been quite difficult. There's been some tough days. There's been some great days and we sort of take it one, I'd say half a day at a time. Yeah. Half days, 10 minute increments. Well, you know, there's nap time in the middle of the day. Our son thankfully still naps. So if we have a rough morning, he has a nap and then we sort of all reset and carry on for the afternoon. So that's been, I've been using that for my own mental sanity piece. And, uh, and then we go through the rest of the day. Um, as I said, we've known, well, you and I have known each other a long time. You've known Dakota for a few years, but um, let's step back a little bit and sort of give me, give us an idea of how, what the decision was for you to start your own consultancy and what that's looked like in the last few years, pre-mom? Yeah, it was a really interesting exercise because I had always wanted to run my own company that was always on the back burner as a, at some point I'm going to do consultant work. What that looked like exactly, I wasn't sure. The timing, I wasn't sure. And then four years ago, this coming summer, I got laid off. And I remember chatting with Alyssa. I remember you and I grabbed a drink like two days later. And I said, I think I'm going to do this. And you said, I think you'll regret it if you don't. And um, I was pretty much already ready to sign on the dotted line. And I registered my business eight days after leaving my job and activated immediately. And it was the best decision I could have made. One of the things that happens from a consultancy perspective is so much of it's related to your network and your contacts. And I was coming from public relations role and a media facing role. And it was really important to me that I didn't lose those contacts. The worst thing for me was that if someone reached out to me at my old position and got an auto, like an auto reply saying, Melanie's no longer here, but they didn't know where I was or how to get a hold of me. That to me was a worst case scenario. So I wanted to set it up quickly so that I could at least reach out to people and say, here's how to reach me. This is my plan. I'll be in touch. And that was probably the smartest thing I did when I initially launched. And then it's coming up to four years later and it's just evolved and grown from there. We have a team now and um, quite a wide range of industries that we support, which has been really fascinating, especially through COVID. And uh, we're just continuing to grow at this point, which is really exciting. That's awesome. Happy almost birthday, Mel. You and I share a similar birthday with both of our companies. <laughs> we're also turning four in June. Exactly. I turned yeah. five this month. And then I think. you turned Yeah, exactly. Oh I should do it. I love how we all have a similar kind of story. Yes, story. I, our backstories are all the same. It was some sort of impetus. We'd always thought about it, but yeah. like for me, it was the same sort of thing. I quit my job in a, well, I've already talked about this, but in a blaze of <laughs> gross. Um, 
months ago. And like Melanie was laid off and you sort of had, you were laid off. It was sort of all the impetus. And it's funny how, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the podcast, but um, how that sort of pivoting and sort of changing um, tactics or changing your, how you want things to go is different for everyone. And some people become entrepreneurs and some people, um, yeah, become bitter and angry. Exactly. Um, I think if I can just dive in, uh, jump in for one second. Um, so I'm single, I don't have children. I'm not married. It's just me and my labradoodle, (laughs) but I have a lot of friends who are parents. Um, and I also work with a lot of clients who are parents. Um, and what's been really interesting and fascinating for me as well, uh, has been that not only do I support my clients professionally, obviously, uh, there's been a bit of a therapy role, I think for all of us with, with a few people, just because again, that whole community piece. And one thing I've heard is that's been the most challenging with COVID. If you're a parent is that whole having to do it all and be it all right now for your family. So one of the things I'd love to ask Mel is what are some things that you can tell parents um, and support parents with that you've maybe been doing at home as far as like routines or things you're doing for your son uh, to keep him occupied or just really taking a step back to, to take some self care for yourself. What are you doing in that capacity? Well, it's a really good question. And I think for me, it's been quite a, a leap of faith into a, I would say a fairly unknown world because um, my son before COVID was in daycare, but part-time. So he was there three days a week. So we had a really nice balance in terms of everyone had their own time. So he had three days a week where he was really very actively engaged with other kids and with a schedule of activities. And I had three days of dedicated work time. And then we had all of our family time on the weekend. And so we had a really nice structure and and it worked great. And so where this threw everything for a wrench was that all of a sudden he's now here and he's coming from an expectation of a full day of stimulation and activity. And because of when he started daycare, he hadn't yet really got to that point where that mattered. And all of a sudden that matters to him. He'd like some activities and he'd like to color and he'd like Play-Doh. And I was like, oh, okay, I have none of these things in my house because we just hadn't got to the point where we'd stocked up on, as my friend across the street, she's got an art bin and she's got some of these activities. And so I felt quite a bit fish out of water, I will admit on that front. Um, But since then I have made Play-Doh from scratch, which I was very proud of myself. <laughs> um, and which is really quite easy. So really don't give me that many points, but, um, you mean you're not going to give us a lesson? Yeah. I, d- I don't even remember. There's a Google <laughs> link somewhere. Um, I had food coloring all over my hands, but, um, you know, and we've, we've been able to create some activities. I also, my son really likes water. So what I did one day, all of a sudden I just filled a Rubbermaid tub with water in the kitchen of warm water and gave him a watering can and some measuring spoons and an old peanut butter jar with a lid. And he played there for an hour and he was happy as a clam. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, Have I been able to replicate the hour? No, but it was a great moment when it was there. So I've, I've sort of been trying to integrate 
some really focused time for him as part of every day, because then he's more willing to give me some time when I need it. Um, but you know, it's not easy. There's, there are tears, there are tears on everyone's front. Um, and it's, it's trying to find that balance point, as I said before, in terms of that activity and that stimulation and also making sure we get our time. So, and to that end, um, I've been doing yoga every day at lunch after we have lunch, my son goes down for a nap and then I go do 20 minutes of yoga. And that has been, I've created a little hovel in our basement. Uh, that's just for me. And that's been my savings grace. I can tell the days that I don't get to it, how I feel at the end of the day, because it's a sanity thing. So I think everyone needs to try and find a moment for yourself. And it's, that's the hardest part. Like you say, when you've got a house full, there's pros and cons to everything. And I would say that's the thing that's really important to recognize through this crisis is that whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you're by yourself, whether it's just you and your dog, whether it's a multi-family household, there are challenges and stress points with every single one of them. So I think that everyone needs to cut themselves some slack yeah. and, and be okay with having the days where, hey, this sucks. Yeah. Um, and, and my situation doesn't suck more than someone else's. It's just, no. it's hard for me today. So I think that's important for everyone to recognize both personally and professionally through this, because it also impacts productivity and what that looks like. I know my husband's company, they've had quite a few conversations because they're still operating full scale. Like my husband's still working 40 hour work week. Wow. Wow. And so what they're looking at is managing that productivity level because you've got people at home with kids where other people are working. So how do you ebb and flow? Uh, Then you've also got people who are literally living by themselves, not even with an animal and keeping them motivated and connected 40 hours a week is also impossible too. So rather than looking at the, the clock, it's what do we have to get done today or this week and then map it out that way. And I know they've had a lot of conversations on on that. And I was reading a really great article on that yesterday on companies and especially small business owners, stop clock watching, look at your list, look at your priorities for the week, mm-hmm. what needs to get done this week. Mm-hmm. And then if it happens at 11 o'clock at night, cause that's when your employee can work. So be it. If you need to, and this I thought was a really great tip, especially for some companies was Set a time structure. If you need your team to all be working at the same time, say, okay, from 10 to 12 every day, I need you to be online. Because then your employees can then work within their own lives and make that work. Yeah. But set some structure and stick to it. And, and we've worked really hard on that on our side. And, and the first week or two was a little rough in terms of figuring out schedules. But as you see my child run down with a chair... Um, but what we've now done is my husband has a hard stop at three o'clock. His whole team knows that, mm-hmm. uh, his boss knows that he gets up early. He works till three and I start at three and then go through. And so we, we've set that it's working really well for us. The f- getting to that point wasn't super smooth, but yeah. now that we're there, it's great. That's awesome. So what time does he have to get up then? Usually probably like five or six. He gets up at six. So he's working seven to three right now. Okay. And then 
some days things change. So yesterday we had a Smart Academy session and Alyssa and I'll chat a little bit more about the Smart Academy. And so we just traded off a block of time. So I worked a little bit in the morning and he told his team he was unavailable for this block and then he looped back later. So it's a teamwork, right? Everyone has to work within both your small team at home, your company team, and for us, our client teams. So how can everyone make that work with an extra degree of patience? So again, it's this whole teamwork thing, right? And I know the reason why I think this is so valuable to to really talk about your role as a a parent as well, Mel, is because I know a lot of moms that listen to our podcast and parents who listen to our podcast are going to find so much value in just hearing from someone else that it's not, it doesn't have to be okay all of the time. Mm -hmm. And here are some tips for trying to make it a little better, right? Because we all have to kind of know that we're, the crappy silver lining to COVID is that we're all in this together. Literally. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating though. Like, let me jump in there because I think to me, what's been really interesting from a crisis communication perspective is I've dealt with crisis communications for a lot of years in my career in different facets. One is a journalist, but also uh, in a post-secondary environment and all of that. But never have I done crisis communications for so many different clients at once in different industries. Mm -hmm. And it's been but it's been quite a, a light bulb of, oh, wow, this is affecting everyone in the same way, in some ways, but in other ways, completely different. And so how do you then manage that? So it's, um, everyone just needs to breathe. I mean, that's, you just got to keep breathing through the day and, and uh, you'll find your way through it. Sure. An interesting point though, is that you as a consultant have worked from home since you went out on your own four years ago. Yes. And your husband had an office job that he went to every day. What I'm finding most interesting about this situation and why it relates to how things are going to move forward is that post sort of crisis, and this is what we can talk about next, is, is that everyone has to transition out of this. But a lot of offices or typical office situations are not going to go back to normal or, or the, the version of what we thought was normal for a long time. I think there's going to be a ton of working from home, a ton of like sort of rotating um, office time. No like nine to five. Yeah, there's not going to be no more nine to five for, for the foreseeable future. And so I think from your perspective, it's interesting because you, you've worked from home and your husband is now working from home who had an office job and how this is going to sort of structure out. So from speaking from your husband's perspective, how is he doing and what does he foresee his business becoming post crisis like is this is him working from home part time going to continue or what's sort of their typical office structure going to look like moving forward well i think right now it's hard to say but what i will preface with is that he works for a software development company um and they were technically running ahead of the game in terms of capabilities and infrastructure to work from home. So one of the things that came up quite a bit in the early stages of this was that many companies realized that they just, people weren't equipped to work from home. They couldn't. Uh, They didn't have the technology. They didn't have any of the elements that they needed to do that. Whereas um, my husband's company, fortunately, had already established that people could work from home sporadically should they need to. And so the infrastructure was already there. Uh, They also, as things were getting shut down more and more and more, they did a test week the week before things really shut down. 
and said, anyone who wants to work from home this week, we're going to test things out and make sure you have what you need because we know this is coming down the pipe, which I thought was really proactive and fantastic because they they then didn't end up stuck trying to figure out, oh gosh, well, how are you going to stay connected? Now, one of their international offices, I know they, they didn't have the technologically uh, support to do what we've been able to do here. But I think where it goes from here is to your point, Alyssa, it's not going to go back to normal. Um, but I think there'll be a better balance between the in-person office time, which is important because I think everyone, no one's going to argue at this point that human connection isn't important, yes. especially at this point of the game. All going a bit loopy. Yeah. <laughs> As we all go crazy. But I think it's also important to recognize that we, this is 2020 and we do have the technology, the technology and the capabilities to work from home. So how can we be more productive by allowing our employees to do that? So finding that better balance point, I think is going to be that move forward. And you mentioned it off the top. And I think that's really the, the next steps here is how do you move forward as a company and how do you continue to communicate effectively and then transition to whatever is next the challenge being that we don't know what's next, but what we've been working with our clients on and suggesting and working with them on is, is mapping out scenarios mm-hmm. Yeah, from a timeline perspective in terms of, okay, if scenario A looks like this, then how do we roll that out? If scenario B looks like this, how do you roll that out? And what are the things that you've activated during this time that you can maintain because it's a good business practice and a good opportunity and what really just needed to be temporary and should be stopped because there are going to be pieces that people have created to support themselves through this time that really might not make sense going forward. We don't know yet, but it's, it's managing and looking at that operational piece. And then of course the communicator in me will tell you your communications needs to align with that. Right. For sure. Yeah. I think what's super interesting about this, uh, just because I do not have a background in crisis communications, but I know both you and Alyssa do has been, so thankfully I was proactive as well in, um, connecting with my clients. I want to say a week and a half to two weeks prior to everything getting like really real and being like, Kate, it's time to relook at all of our content. We've got to pull most of it. We have to redo most of it. We're going to have to come up with some interesting tactics with how to reach our audience. Social is obviously going to spike. I, you know, like forecasting that kind of stuff, which has happened. Uh, right now, Facebook in particular reported that messenger use as well as engagement has increased by 50%. Obviously, yeah. people are stuck at home. So I guess my question for you then is, um, like, is this how crisis communications plans are born? And is it, (laughs) because I mean, you look at the flood, the 2013 flood, um, you look at this, you look at any other historical event, whether it was war or natural disaster, and you look at the the way that communications um, plans have been developed. And I know when I started my career, communications plans were like 20 to 200 page, or not 20, like 200 page documents. Like they were humongous and they've got, they've gotten smaller and smaller and more innovative. But I guess my question is, yeah, like, is this how communications plans are born and like how how do we forecast for this and as professionals and business owners how do we show up for our clients in a way that you just kind of mentioned I think there's there's two important things one there's communication plans 
that are 200 pages. And then there's crisis communication plans. And it's important to just differentiate those for, for people to understand that there, there are differences when it comes to those. Um, in terms of the planning, crisis communications, the best time to do crisis communications planning is when you're not in a crisis. And it's hard to motivate. And part of the challenge people run into is that they don't dedicate the time to crisis communication planning. I've been fortunate to work with some larger organizations that understand the importance of it. Um, And I think what people don't realize or may not realize is that pandemic is one of the plans. So this is pandemic, flood, natural disaster. These are all the big ticket items that these larger organizations have scenarios planned out. So what is the work back? What does your operations look like? How are we communicating that? What does that rollout look like? Um, So it's important to, if you don't have a crisis communication plan, I would use this time to make one. Yes, good call. And I think that you you write down everything that you've done Mm -hmm. and keep track of what's worked, keep track of your analytics because... One, this is a long game. So I think the other thing to remember is that we're still in active crisis mode here. So there's crisis is a phased approach. So there's the really urgent piece that happened in mid-March. Yeah. And then it phases out from there. So while we may not, we may feel like we're in a bit of a status quo, this is still active crisis. The prime minister is still speaking every day. Mm -hmm. There are still people dying every day. And businesses are still evolving every day. So this is still, we're not into clean up, mop up mode yet. We're yeah. still in that active piece. So what does that look like? And you need to stay on top of that. Is this the smoldering stage, as I will recall, in Crisis Comms 101? We <laughs> <laughs> could call it that. <laughs> no, serious. There was a chart. Oh um, God, really? Yes. I'm in my diploma program. Actually, you know, I actually did really well in my crisis comms class. I just, when I ac- actively okay. did crisis comms for my jobs, I did not enjoy the PR aspect of it. The social and digital, of course, I don't mind, but. Yeah. Well, the, the media relations component in any crisis, I've gone through two in my career. I've done, mm-hmm. um, I was in Okotoks, uh, for the 2005 floods and I was at uh, tours in Calgary for the 2013 floods. Mm-hmm. So I've been through two um, natural disaster crises. And it's funny, I've actually been enjoying being on the uh, outside looking in of this crisis and sort of mm-hmm. um, silently judging people <laughs> on how it's gone. But I, because being in it is exhausting. And I mean, Mel will say that too. Like if you're in, you're working in an organization in the midst of a crisis, even if you've well planned it. Like, I mean, in working for a municipality, mm-hmm. we did um, training yearly. We were all yeah. like, our and that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But most organizations, and I think this is where we can sort of leap off from this sort of um, in the midst of a crisis, which Mel just mentioned, but yeah. we do have to transition out. Um, and I think this is what we need to sort of talk about now is that um, from a consultant perspective, and I think a lot of consultants have, projects on hold, have lost clients because they've been closed and multitude different things from, from just a consultancy perspective. I'm not going to talk about businesses per se, but as consultants, mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with a consultant colleague about this last week and we were discussing how we're all going to be unleashed at some point mm-hmm. because right now we're all really not pitching work. I mean, we're being like, we're not, we're not scoping for new clients at this point because it's kind of a 
fruitless um, and you don't want to be insensitive. So at some point, we're all going to transition out of this, out of this. And whether consultants or salespeople or whatever, we're all going to be like unleashed on the public Mm -hmm. and how we can sort of in an empathetic and sensitive way, re-enter traditional quotes in quotes um, work society with being able to offer services and sort of pitch work to um, businesses that have been through a tremendous financial and emotional stress for however many months and what that looks like and how our um, business as communicators will now shift and change moving forward and what that looks like. So have you put any thought into that Mel as to how we as communications consultants can sort of pivot and, and shift out of um, this mode into more of a, a sensitive pitching, empathetic pitching, empathetic pitching. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's a really good point. Right. And I think that there's a, there's still a lot of unknowns in terms of how this is going to shake out. And, and the longer this goes, the more impact there is from a domino effect in terms of people and businesses closing. I mean, there was a story the other day about the Vancouver aquarium, basically they can make it two months and then they have to close. I think that's what it was because they just can't. And the Calgary zoo is struggling to feed their animals because they're not getting the funding. So I think that that timeline is really going to come to play. But I mean, when it comes to consultants and small business owners and both ourselves and others, I think that the message comes back to your brand and your story and who you are and what you are. And and we, we talk to clients a lot. And that's to me, what's going to see people through this to the other side and what I'm starting to see people forgetting about right now. And I think that's what's I want to know who you are and what you are. I don't just want to see you pushing out your COVID messaging. I don't just want to see your sales and your curbside pickup deals. Yes, that's important, but I want to see the people. I want to see the faces and I want to see the community that surrounds you. And I don't want you to lose your brand because ultimately when we come back out of this... I'm going to stick with, and even during this, the people that we're supporting locally are the brands that we know and love and trust. That is not going to change. And so ultimately, you need to work within that network and make sure that your brand is holding you true. Because if you lose your brand through this, then you're going to lose a lot more. Because when we come back out of it, I'm also going to keep supporting the people that have rallied and supported and worked with me through this process. Yeah. I, I had one not so great experience with a local business owner to the point that when this is done, that's the first thing that's going to be off my list because I don't appreciate how that, our, that whole dynamic went. It wasn't handled well. There was, it just, it left a very bad taste in my mouth. And I think that, yeah everyone has another level of patience that we're all drawing on, but customer service still matters. Brand still matters. Your story still matters. Your impression still matters. So you need to remember those core elements and carry those through because when we come out of that, it's the brands that are going to succeed because ultimately, I mean, I'm going to go to my favorite coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. The second I can, whether it's a big chain or not a big chain. And I think that I'm slowly moving away from 
it's important to support local 100%. We also have to remember that our local community members work at some larger chains and they need to put food on the table for their families. So I've, in my head, I've been working on a combination of both supporting the local business owner, but also remembering the kid who's working at Walmart trying to feed his family. And that's just as important to make sure that we can try and keep these people employed as well. And so if that company is taking steps or whatever larger company is taking steps to keep their employees involved. And um, I, there is a restaurant that we ordered from the other night that's a larger chain and they had appropriated cases and cases and cases of Girl Guide cookies that they are selling on behalf of the Girl Guides because they weren't able to get the boxes out. And you know what? That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. They're supporting local and, and big chain or not. I really appreciated that they're taking that step. So I think that to me, that's a brand piece. Mm -hmm. That's a story piece. And I love that that's coming through. And that's what we're going to see moving out of this is that's the strength. Um, To your point, Mel, too, I've been seeing a lot of businesses do just like um, I've been seeing restaurants collaborate between five different restaurants. Like, okay, we'll sell your fresh pasta in addition to our, you know, specialty item. And that's been really nice that that community piece. Yeah, I think the collaboration. I think um, you're totally correct, Mel. In 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 seeing the businesses or the community members, or like you look at a, a person like Julie Van Rosendahl, who's basically rallied the restaurant industry to get it mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. and to look outside the box and what else can you do? And so she's got Rouge Restaurant. Rouge, Rouge restaurants doing, um, using their kitchen to make lunches for brown bagging for Calgary kids. Like it's using this time to reassess what your business is and what it could be like looking, using the restaurant example, because for some reason, restaurants seem to be the examples, but I'll call them out by name. Cause I, I think it's a great thing. Like, so Earl's restaurants has looked at the situation and they're a chain granted. However, as to Mel's point, they employ local people and all the, 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 the cooks and the managers are all local. So they saw obviously the issue with um, what was happening with restaurants, but they saw a, um, a, a gap in terms of the supply chain with food. So they've also become a mini grocer where you can pick up produce baskets. So if you order a burger from Earl's, you can also get a produce basket for that week's groceries. So there, and and, yeah. So you're taking (laughs) pressure off the grocery store. You're, you're creating, um, an, you're, you're, you're eliminating another unnecessary uh, opportunity to leave your house because you're, you're connecting two pieces um, together with food and, and, um, and groceries. And I was like, that's brilliant. And it, I'm looking for other businesses and other um, business owners to start looking at their services and, or their products and how they can expand or readjust and look outside the box as to what they're already doing and what they could be doing. Because quite honestly, as we get out of this, those are the businesses that are going to be successful. And I think we can start talking now about, um, in terms of, of pivoting and sort of leveraging opportunities, one of the things that I noticed in this uh, in this situation was that pretty much 100% of my business was client-based. I mean, my revenue was all from clients. Mm-hmm. And when those clients go away or have their own other issues or projects are suspended, 
that revenue immediately goes away. So therefore you have to, so I'm taking this time to look at other opportunities. And so, I mean, this podcast is one of those things, but, um, but Mel and I and our colleague Maggie have created um, uh, an educational academy called Smart Academy. And it was, it sort of came out of these discussions around other revenue streams and the opportunity to teach people and like with our knowledge and those sorts of things. But having that, um, oper- that new initiative uh, sort of coming out during this time, I think is really beneficial because it's giving us all another opportunity, another revenue stream coming out of that. So Mel, talk to us a little bit about the how SMART came to be and what was sort of the impetus to move this forward, because I think we all looked at you know, looked at it like, okay, we need to we need to diversify from just client revenue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think originally it came to be it wasn't actually. I mean, from my perspective, it wasn't a revenue focus. It was a there was a need that needed to be filled, and so I think the initial conversations um, Alyssa, Maggie, and I had was that we were running into a massive education gap when it comes to small business owners for marketing communications and public relations. And one of the challenges as a consultant, and I think most consultants would agree is that you spend a lot of time repeating yourself on education and helping people understand the why and how, and how this works. Um, And you lose a lot of time and you lose a lot of impact because you're spending so much time doing back and forth on that educational piece. And, and it's important to recognize that not every small business owner can afford to bring in a consultant to manage and support their communications. And so for us, what was really important was to provide a platform for small business owners, entrepreneurs, or the communications shop of one to have a place to get those foundational skills, uh, to learn and grow what they needed to do. It's not about overcomplicating your social media. It's not about a massive media relations campaign across the country. It's, do you have a story that you need to share? How do we help you get it out? Do you need to manage your own social profiles? What does that look like? Here's how you can make it still look professional and not off the corner of your couch. And so that foundational piece was missing for a lot of people. And so we really wanted to set some structure and the opportunity for people to come and engage with that. On the note about communication shops of one, I think that's where people often find themselves by themselves. And I think even more so now, I think people are realizing how isolating it can be working from home by yourself uh, and feeling like you don't have someone to bounce ideas off of. And that the Smart Academy also fills a gap because these people now have a resource where if they're stuck by themselves, there's contacts and there are sessions that they can take and meet other people who are in the similar boat and then grow and elevate from there. And so that was the foundational core of Smart Academy. And But to Alyssa's point, it is a really important from a business perspective to have other revenue streams coming in and diversifying. And ultimately... The goal is always passive income, I would say, for small business owners. That's sort of the dream, right? If you look at what the gyms are doing right now from a subscription service base, that's that's the goal is they do a lot of heavy lifting up front and then people sign up for their subscription and then they have access to their member database and they pay once a month. But then the cost, the labor intensiveness is done 
and you just maintain. And then every year, every six months, you put in a big core group of time. Um, but that's what we're seeing right now. And that's what I think, to Alyssa's point, the businesses that are going to thrive coming out of this are the ones that have done that well right now and will then be able to evolve it into a core program. I think what we're also seeing is people that have had plans in the back of their head that have now been able to execute because they had to. I have a client up in Northern Alberta and they had a virtual program planned to launch six months from now and they pulled it together in a week because they had to and because they could. And so I think what we're starting to see is more and more of that, which is fantastic because one, it really shows you how much time, if you really dedicate to it, you can get something off the ground pretty quick. Um, And it's not going to be perfect. We're not asking for perfection, but get off the ground and then tweak and adjust as you go. One of my, um, I go to a place called Rumble Boxing once a couple times a week and I love it. And they launched an online streaming platform. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Everyone who goes there, because we all really enjoy it, we've all signed up to support them through this mm-hmm. process because why wouldn't I? One, I get a workout from my basement, which is great. Yeah. And then it carries forward. So those are the people that are going to thrive through this process. Yes. Um, so we are coming to the end of our mm-hmm. podcast, but before we kind of finish up, Mel, can you please tell everybody how often you're holding the Smart Academy sessions, what your next topic is going to be, and where people can find more information? And Alyssa and I will definitely put it in notes and on social posts as well. Yeah, absolutely. So the Smart Academy sessions right now are offered by webinar. And so we had one in April, there'll be one in May and one in June, and then we'll take a break for the summer and then we'll be back September, October, November. Right now they're 60 minute sessions. They're designed to be hands-on workshops. So the May session is the one I'm facilitating, which I'm really excited about. And it's basically about communications in a crunch and how to take one piece of content and repurpose it across all your different platforms, not just social, but your website, uh, potentially a news uh, newsletter, e-blast, all of those things, basically with one starting point, because the reality is we don't have that much time. Whether you are working busily right now or not, time is still a challenge as we talked about off the top. So how do you reduce the amount of time you're spending on content creation, but still being effective with it? So if you go to getsmartyyc.ca, you can see all of the upcoming webinars and register for those. They're only $15 a person right now because we're in webinar form and uh, they've been really well received so far and we're excited to continue. Well, I'm certainly excited uh, to join the next one. That sounds awesome. <laughs> and I'm doing June. Yeah, Elizabeth. Yes. I'm doing um, uh, this, or creating your own assets. So if you're the, this is really beneficial for the communications of staff of one. So you're working for a nonprofit and you're the communications coordinator and you're one. And you've been asked to go take photos at the employee uh recognition lunch or you have to interview the executive director for the newsletter and some tips and tricks on how you can create your own assets even just with your iphone you don't need um a digital camera and all those sorts of things that that you would have a few um assets on the fly assets on the fly man and uh, how easy it is to do quick editing and all those sorts of things so that's what i'm doing and how to set up like if you are going to interview your executive director how you can do that on your iphone and still make it look professional so that's in june 
Yay. Yay. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So bef- we have come to the end and it was awesome. I can talk, talk about this. I know. All day. Yeah. This is why Mel and I, so like, many things. This is why Mel and I drink so much wine together. Let's <laughs> do part two. Yeah. So much wine. Yes. Yeah, so we'll have to do part two. And I just want to say you, I mean, I know your baby, but your baby is the most well-behaved little child who has just I been know, wandering just around, not a sound out of them this whole hour. Yeah. Well, I, and and to Dakota's point about speaking to parents, I he's watching the Wiggles right now. So um, we've been really trying not to do too much screen time, but we pull it out when we need to. And you know what? It works great. And then the whenever we don't need to, and he asks for it, it's just a hard no. <laughs> so, but you know what? You got to do what you got to do. And yes, he's he's got Cheerios and a granola bar and Lego and Wiggles, and he's happy as a clam. So, go baby. Got to do what you got to do. That's yeah, true. Anyway, thank you, thank Melanie. You, Mel. Thanks and for having me. You can learn all about Melanie um, and her communications at melanielincommunications.com and uh, find out all about the cool things that she does as well. So thank you for joining us and you, uh, go finish the wiggles. I will. I also should say that on Instagram, I do at the simplified side hustle. I do Instagram little random bits about the behind the scenes of parenting and entrepreneurial adventures. So you can follow along there too. Well, thank you so much, Mel, for joining us. Um, And yeah, we'll uh, see you guys in a couple weeks. You betcha. Bye. Thanks for listening to Ladies Who Launch with Dakota and Alyssa. We drop new episodes every other Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. 